Turn, if you would, in your Bibles to Psalm 57 as we continue working through the Psalms. If you're using one of the Blue Chair Bibles, it's on page 477. But also, if you want, you can flip over to 1 Samuel chapter 24, put a finger or a bookmark in there, and that's on page 246 if you're using one of the blue chair Bibles. Because in Psalm 57, we have one of these superscripts again that connects our psalm to the life of David. So we have right at the beginning of Psalm 57 to the choir master, according to Do Not Destroy, a miktam of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. So David's in a cave. Now we need to say, when was David in a cave? And I'm so glad you asked that question. There's two choices for this. 1 Samuel 22, David is in a cave. And 1 Samuel 24. And as I'll allude to later, I think the best answer to this question, though it could be both, is probably 1 Samuel 24. And I think it'd be helpful, I don't do this every time, but I want to read to you this story in its entirety, 1 Samuel 24, because I think we again have these, in the stories we get these very concrete pictures that then help us to better understand the words that David proclaims in the psalm. So turn, if you want, to 1 Samuel chapter 24. I'm just going to read straight through, and we'll go from there. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the, cave of which the, here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, and the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. 
For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, out of, wicked, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you, and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. As soon as David had finished speaking those words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dwelt well with me, in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me in your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now behold, I know that you shall surely be king, and the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me therefore by the Lord that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Now, if you read the rest of 1 Samuel, you know that that is not the end of the story. But a couple of things that I want to point out from this story that will connect us to our psalm today. See, by this time in the story, David has already been anointed the future king of Israel, and that happened back in chapter 16. That even takes place before the familiar story of David and Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. But we know that each chapter does not correspond to a set amount of time. And so, but to give you a, an estimate of a timeline here, the best estimate that I could find is that David is anointed in 1025 BC. He is made king around 1010 BC, 15 years later. But even then, the whole process of becoming king over the whole nation takes about 10 years to complete. It was not a simple transference of kingship here. And I highlight that because I want to pull out of that story an appreciation of how long David waited for God to fulfill his promise. David had to wait for the Lord to fulfill his purpose for David. The other thing that I want us to see is that in this story, David does the right thing even when the wrong thing was reasonable. He could have easily viewed it as his soldiers did, that God gave him that opportunity. But David knew the Lord would bring his promises about, and he entrusted himself to the Lord's judgment, not his own execution of that judgment. 
So as we look at this lament psalm today that is connected to this story, I want us to keep those ideas in mind. That David trusted in God's justice, even when it meant waiting a long time for God to fulfill his promises. And so we're going to see this in two parts in the psalm. The first is, is that God will fulfill his purposes for your life. And the second part is that we worship while we wait. So let's look at Psalm 57, beginning verses 1 to 3. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. As we've seen this very, the various lament psalms in past weeks, again, it's important to emphasize each week that David addresses his pain, his need for justice to the Lord. We have a God who hears us, and we must be people who are quick to pray, not saving it for when all else has failed as a last option. And David makes it clear that he is reliant on the mercy and grace of God. And because of that mercy and grace, he can find his refuge in God. God here is pictured like a mother hen, and his people take refuge in the shadow of his wings. By the way, when Jesus says a similar thing in Matthew 23, He wasn't just pulling a rabbit out of a hat. He knew his Bible. God cares for us like a mother hen. We are under his wings even in, as verse 1 says, the storms of destruction pass by. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. You are safe under his wings. He cries out to God Most High. And then as I've noted before, when we have these similar psalms, it's important to notice what is unique about each one. And I think that comes in the second part of verse 2. I cry out to God Most High, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. Again, as I said in the introduction, this story is one part of a long chapter of David's life where he was hunted by Saul. Don't you think there were nights when David was exhausted and frustrated by the fact that he was anointed to be the next king, but that time hadn't come yet and the current king was trying to kill him and he was having to spend time in caves He knew he was going to be the future king who got to live in a palace. And here he was in a cave. You don't think that wasn't frustrating? You don't think 15 years of running for your life when you know 
God has promised to make you king? You don't think that graded on him? (laughs) See, one of our problems is because someone's in the Bible, we totally make them into not real people. (laughs) David was a person just like you and me. And he had tremendous faith. But that doesn't take away that he wasn't feeling the pain and frustration that we would feel in the same position. When we think about this, first is that that time aspect. God made David a promise that had not yet been fulfilled. David had to wait a long time for that calling to be fulfilled. You see, sometimes we can feel a calling, but then God calls us to wait, and that can be extremely difficult. Secondly, I think we can also connect with the frustration of being one of God's people and still having problems and difficulties. It's hard when we know we are in right relationship with God and bad things still happen. I'm sure there were times where David said to God, why are you letting all these bad things happen to your chosen king? But, even though I am sure David experienced those emotions and those frustrations and that exhaustion, in this psalm, he proclaims his trust in the Lord who fulfills his purpose for me. God will fulfill every single one of his purposes for your life, even when it doesn't feel like it's true. And when it does not feel true, or when we are experiencing pain and difficulty, This is when we need to lean into the truth that God will keep his promises. And that's where it is helpful to know the rest of David's story, that God did keep his promise and did fulfill his purposes for David's life and made him king. We don't always know when or how, but God will fulfill his purpose for your life can't help but connect this to what Paul would later write in that familiar verse in Romans chapter 8. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. God has a sovereign plan for your life, and he will be faithful to bring it to completion. And this is true even in a world of sin and injustice. But how do we know that this is true? Look at verse 3. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. So we see two ways here. The first is that he will act with justice. He will save and deliver his people, and he will put to shame him who tramples on me. In this life, or when Christ returns, all people will have to stand before God as judge. 
And sometimes we get to experience this in the present moment. But even if we don't, we know that one day all justice will be done and all things will be made right when Christ returns. This has been one of these big themes we've seen throughout the Lament Psalms, that one of the solid rocks of our hope is the justice of God. He will vindicate his people. He will punish the guilty. And he does that perfectly and in righteousness. But we also have a second reason to believe that God will deliver his people. And that is he always acts with steadfast love and faithfulness to his people. Look at the end of verse 3 there. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. If you belong to God through faith in Jesus, God will always send out his steadfast love and faithfulness to you. And we can know that God will accomplish his purposes for us because he loves us and because he is faithful to keep his promises. So in addition to knowing that God is a God of justice, the other solid rock of our hope is the faithful and loving character of God. Even when we're waiting in the cave, God is faithful and loving to his people. At this point in the lament, David speaks again of the pain that he feels. Let's look at verse 4. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amidst fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. David compares people to being in the midst of lions and amid fiery beasts. Again, one of the gifts of the Psalms is the vivid poetic language that they use. These vivid pictures of attacks that he experiences. Again, I think this also fits the reference of being in the cave from the superscript. Think of it this way. You're in a cave full of lions or a cave full of dragons. David describes the people seeking him to do harm as dangerous lions and dragons. And their speech, their teeth, their tongues, and their words are like weapons, spears, arrows, and sharp swords. David is surrounded by those who would attack him with their sinful words. And I think for our benefit, David doesn't get any more specific than that. What specifically were the people saying to him? We don't know. All we know is that they were like spears, arrows, and sharp swords. But we all know the destructive power of speech and of harsh words. From harshness to gossip to mockery, All of us have experienced some form of the way that the way people speak are like sharp swords. So what will David do? What will David do as he waits? What will he do as he lives in a world that's being like surrounded by lions? Verse 5 tells us that David will worship the Lord. 
Look at that with me, verse 5. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. In the midst of all the pain, in the midst of the frustration, in the midst of the exhaustion, David worships the Lord who will fulfill his purposes for his life. David worships the Lord who will execute his justice over all the earth. David worships the Lord who always shows steadfast love and faithfulness to his people. Now I'm going to say more about this as we look at the second half of the psalm. And as we'll see in just a second, the second half of the psalm is filled with references to the worship of God. But before we get there, let me point out one more detail about verse 5. Most commentators divide this psalm, 1 to 5, and then 6 through 11, because verse 5 is repeated verbatim in verse 11. And so in one sense, you can think of this poetically arranged as a verse and a chorus and a verse and a chorus. Again, there's a, a melodic feel to this psalm. Of course, all of these psalms could be sung. And some churches today even sing the psalms. We talk more about that in another sermon. But for now, I want you to feel the musicality of this psalm in that use of a chorus ringing again and again this call to worship God. So with that in mind, let's turn to that second half. And again, this idea of worship while you wait. As we wait on God's justice, as we wait on him to fulfill his purposes in our lives. David gives us this clear call to the worship of the Lord. Let's look beginning at verse 6. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. As we've seen before in Lament Psalms, there is this intertwining both of declarations of worship and faith and hope, intertwined with true and sincere declarations of pain and hardship. And so that continues in verse 6 here. David describes his pain as, my soul was bowed down, and describes the actions of those attacking him as, they set a net for my steps. Remember this larger narrative of this chapter of David's life. He is being hunted like an animal, and he uses hunting metaphors to describe the pain and difficulty that he is in. I'm sure many days felt like a trap to David. But even though the people against him have dug a pit in my way, they have fallen into it themselves. Justice here is pictured as the aggressors falling into their own trap. This is actually a common picture in your Bible. Let me give you one example from the book of Proverbs. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. What I think is helpful to us in this is that God will bring justice on those who would seek to trap his people and that God delivers righteous 
justice. To picture someone falling in their own trap, I think, helps us to see that the punishment fits the crime. That God is not arbitrary in how he executes his justice, but that it is always righteous and good, but that it will happen. The person that is attacking God's people, the person that is setting a trap for God's people, will face the justice of God. And it is from this place that David ends the psalm with three expressions of his worship to the Lord. And again, that that bigger idea of as we wait for God's justice, as we wait for God to fulfill his purposes, we worship. Let's look at the first one in verses 7 to 8. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory, awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. Because of God's justice and because of God's sovereign plan for his life, David declares twice, my heart is steadfast. One commentator sees this as a declaration of the security that David feels from his relationship with the Lord. He can persevere. He can stand firm against adversity. Because of the Lord, you can be steadfast. There is a a faith-based courage and confidence that we can have when we trust in the Lord. And out of this resoluteness, David will worship the Lord in song. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. That phrase, awake the dawn, evokes the beginning of a new day. It represents the coming out of the darkness of the cave and starting a new day with the Lord. And the uses of melody, harp, and lyre point to this emphasis on musical worship. That we know that worship is more than music, but God's people are a musical people. God has given us the gift of music to express our praise to God, especially in those hard times. Sing with a steadfast heart to the Lord, because he is the solid rock on which we stand. The next verses give us another flavor of worship. Look at verses 9 to 10 with me. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. David, in his praise, give thanks to the Lord. Again, David is continuing his worship on the Lord, but the emphasis in this part of the psalm is worship of thanksgiving to God. Why is he thankful? For his steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Where have we seen that before? Verse 3. Verse 3, he describes God as having steadfast love and faithfulness, and here David is thankful and worshiping God for that same steadfast love 
and faithfulness. We can wait even in difficulty, even when it gets long, because we know God loves us and is faithful to all his promises. Now there's another unique part to this section that we don't see in the other places. And that is David gives a setting for this worship in verses 9 and 10. Look at verse 9. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. Now in the Bible, when you see the word people and word nation pluralized, it's referring to the whole world. One part of our witness is that we worship God in the midst of adversity in view of the world. That they will see how you suffer well. That the people around you will see if you persevere in adversity, singing glad and sincerely to the Lord. That's a part of our witness to the nations. It's one way to live out the truth that we know God gives us his steadfast love and his faithfulness. So when it feels like the world is attacking us, our response is to proclaim to the world his praises. We sing among the peoples. We worship God among the nations. And I think in this way, worship can drive out fear. We do not have to fear the nations because God is just and he is loving and he is faithful. And so in response to anything this world can throw at us, we sing the praises of God. This leads to a final expression of worship. Again, as I said, this chorus comes back in verse 11. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. While we wait on the justice and the goodness of God, we sing. While we wait for God to fulfill his purposes in our lives, we proclaim, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. A couple thoughts as we close up. I want you to be thinking this day, what are you waiting for? Is there a specific pain that you're currently experiencing? Is there an ongoing hardship that doesn't seem to go away? Is there a frustration of wanting to move to that next chapter in your life? Is it the waiting of persevering to the end and the glory that will be revealed? We all wait for different reasons. But in this story, we know David wrote it when he was waiting. Waiting for God to fulfill his good purposes. So what do we do while we wait? Number one, 
we stand firm on the truth that God will fulfill his purposes for our lives. God is a God of steadfast love and faithfulness. God loves you, cares for you, and he is faithful to all that he promises. And he has a sovereign plan for your life. And God will fulfill that purpose even when it takes a long time. Even when it's difficult, God will fulfill his purposes. And so we can wait. And secondly, worship while you wait. I know some would be like, some of you would be like me in this. I have a lot of nervous energy while I wait. You know, as I was coaching Theodore's baseball team this last year, I paced so much. I got so many steps in that dugout. Waiting on the next pitch. (laughs) So what do we do while we wait? So we don't drive ourselves crazy. So we don't lash out at others. So we don't just give in to fear. We worship. Musical worship is one of the gifts that God has given his people to give us the strength to wait. to repeat to ourselves and to the world the greatness of God and his love and his faithfulness. That we would shout out our thanksgiving to God in praise and that that would empower us to persevere, waiting on God to fulfill his promises. That while we wait on the Lord, we would proclaim with David, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word to us this morning. That we would trust you to fulfill your promises to us. That we would know that you will do so because you love us with your unending steadfast love. That we would know that you will bring justice to this world. And that while we wait, that we would sing your praises, that we would proclaim with thanksgiving your goodness and your righteousness. That as we wait on you to fulfill the purposes of our lives, that we would worship you with glad and sincere hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for watching this video from Hillside Evangelical Free Church. Our hope is that these resources will help you grow as a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. We're located in Greenbank, Washington on Whidbey Island. And if you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to have you join us. You can find out more information at our website at hillside-efc.com.